that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to another episode of Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Andrew Gillis. And we're going to drive the bus on this episode, but first, we're going to do our jobs. We did get an opportunity, Nathan and I, to talk with Ryan Day, Tristan Jebbia, Kyle McCord, and Devin Brown ahead of the start of fall camp, which, as you're listening to this, we're out watching practice on Thursday. So on Wednesday afternoon, we got a chance to talk to those guys and just preview the start of what will be Ryan Day's Fourth quarterback battle since he's been in the program. Third as the head coach. Obviously, he was the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach back in 2018 during that Dwayne Haskins-Joe Burrow competition. And for what will be his fifth quarterback since he's been here, if you add in JT Barrett, Justin Fields, since he just dropped along with that. And Brian Day said some interesting stuff. We didn't learn a whole lot because, obviously, they're not going to tell us everything because they don't want to give anything away. But, Nathan, we did learn one thing. I don't know if you were aware of this or not, Nathan, but once upon a time, Ryan Day played quarterback. Did you know that? (laughs) Uh, It was a shocking revelation. Yeah. Crazy. And there is something to be learned from that. Obviously, Ryan Day played quarterback for New Hampshire in the 90s. But the thing that maybe we could take away from that is how that quarterback battle was handled when he was going through it and maybe how he used that experience and applied it to – as he is now a head coach through multiple quarterback battles, having to decide who he wants to be his starting quarterback. What did he have to say about some of that stuff, Nathan? You know, I think it's maybe more instructive this time around than it would have been in the the previous ones. The 2018 with Burrow and Haskins, that was pretty much decided in the spring when Burrow couldn't compete fully. And 2019, there wasn't one, no matter what they said with, with Justin Fields and the rest of that roster in 2021. There was more of one, but but C.J. Stroud, I think, pulled away pretty comfortably there down the stretch. So this one being this tight into camp sounds like it's more reminiscent of what Ryan Day experienced in his second year at New Hampshire, where he said that it was three weeks into camp and after they had their final scrimmage before he knew he was going to be the starting quarterback. So it, I think it's instructive in a couple of ways for him. Number one is... I think having been through that and understanding the pressure that you put on yourself, that gives him, um, it, it helps him ease these guys into this. Or not ease them into it, maybe is the wrong term. Because it helped him in 2021 with Stroud, too. And you couldn't ease into that. You were going on the road to play Minnesota. That wasn't going to be an easy game, and especially for a, a first-time quarterback. And they're going on the road in the Big Ten to start this one, too. But to to like help help them brace for the for the start of this and have the right mindset, not to put too much pressure on themselves, not to worry too much about playing perfectly, to um, just give them a, a good foundation to go into the season. And then the other instructive part of it was once he won the job, he didn't play that great to start things off. Now he ended up playing great, like he is one of the mm-hmm. most decorated players in New Hampshire. University of New Hampshire football history has a bunch of passing records, I think, still to this day over the course of three seasons. But it 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 was a rough start. And he admits that he was trying to play too perfect, was in his own head a little bit and had to kind of 
work through that. And I think that will be important because, I, you know, personally, I've covered other programs where you have two quarterbacks who are pretty close and somebody has to be picked as a starter for opening day. And then the first time trouble pops up, all of a sudden they're going to the other guy. You start playing the hot hand and nobody gets comfortable. And uh, I've actually seen teams have modest success there, but it's always messy. It does not sound like something Ryan Day wants any part of. I think he wants a starting quarterback that the whole team can can rally around, build around, follow, be led on a weekly basis. And I think that having been through that experience himself and knowing you've got to kind of ride out the storm. And again, 2021 with Stroud instructive on the same sort of uh, concepts. I think it gives him a better handle on how to help a guy through if there's any kind of a bumpy start that you're not jerking a guy around. Obviously, Day went through it, but as you mentioned, in 2021, C.J. Stroud didn't look like a kid who was on well on his way to being a two-time Heisman Trophy finalist in the number two pick in the NFL draft. Some of that context is hurt shoulder, but also young quarterback. He even said it himself. He said they put way too much on – he said it after that – Oregon lost, and he said it again on Wednesday when we talked to him. They put way too much on C.J. Stroud that day. He had over 400 yards, but he also threw the ball 54 times, and he said they should have played better defense. They should have ran the ball better. All these other things that he said that wasn't C.J.'s fault while they lost that game, and I think we all maybe agree on that now that the other factors around C.J. didn't allow him to be at his best either, but also early on in his career, you got to kind of let those bumps and bruises kind of get out of there. I was going back and listening to both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown on my drive home because I think we can get into some of the leadership stuff they talked about too because that seemed to be more of a prominent conversation than the you know, who's the better quarterback convo because that's part of this. But it did seem like they Devin Brown and Kyle McCord got two different like styles of questions. I don't know if you got that read as well, but with Devin Brown, it was more how can you overcome this, that, and the third to actually try to win this battle, whether it's the fact that you haven't thrown a pass in the game, you didn't get a lot of, I think he played 62 snaps maybe last season, while Kyle McCord has started in a football game and thrown a pass in a game, and it's been in the system a lot longer, while Devin Brown barely played, hasn't thrown a pass, and also, oh yeah, he missed the last week of spring football because he broke his finger. And I don't want to say that as media members, we were kind of catering towards and maybe Kyle McCord is ahead, but it did seem like, hey, Devin Brown, it feels like you're behind. How do you overcome that? And Devin Brown and the personality he is kind of came across in a way that he's not worried about any of that. Did you kind of get that vibe when you, whether you were sitting there in that moment or maybe listening back to how the conversation with Kyle McCord versus the conversation with Devin Brown? Well, you have to remember when you look at this on paper, for Devin Brown, it's not through the recruiting process. I don't know that he would have made an assumption that for sure he would have been starting on opening day of his second year. He could just look at the roster and see who was here and who might still be here mm -hmm. and know that there was not a hundred percent chance of that happening. And so there's a different urgency for Kyle McCord than there is for Devin Brown. So things are, are going to get framed differently because the reality is different for both of those guys. Mm -hmm. Now, also, those are all natural questions to ask because Ryan Day himself said last week at Big Ten Media Day, you know, the one advantage Common Court has is the extra year. Tristan Jevio was talking about that again today, that you can there is a different he's he he's just more ingrained in the system still than Devin Brown is, even after 
you know, Devin Brown's had over a year in the program now. And so that's one advantage to McCord. Uh, one guy has started a game and one guy has never thrown a pass in a game. That's an advantage to Kyle McCord. And in addition to all the other passes he threw last year as, as, uh, as CJ Stroud's primary backup, which you could also call it like a separate check mark in his category. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the fact that one of them was able to play in the spring game, one of them did have to take some time off as much as they have downplayed that injury, it's still, if you're just, it goes on the pile of things. So when people are handicapping this, as much as Ryan Day says, it's close, it's close, it's close. All of those things kind of add up in Kyle McCord's favor as camp starts. So I think it's, it's very much a, a similar dynamic as it was in the spring. One guy not only has to catch the other guy, but probably has to pass him. And, We'll see if that happens. We'll, we'll get to see them on Thursday and see how they look compared to each other. I also wonder, too, the, the spring was so – the buildup for this competition was so kind of feverish going into the spring. I mean, it's all anybody's talking about. And now they both had time to kind of sit in it. They've had a summer to reflect on it, to steady themselves, to steady other film, to work on whatever they felt like they had to work on coming out of the spring – and now does it does it feel a little bit different to them being inside it here in the fall that it's it's maybe a little bit more business like than any of the the butterflies that might have been there before because i think you're getting to a point probably where there isn't a lot of auditioning left to do it's you go out and you execute and you've shown i would think just about everything you've got now I think these first couple weeks are maybe about we already saw really the essence of what you are. So here were the things you had to work on this spring, who then or over the summer, I should say, after the spring, who did that best, who has maybe refined their game a little bit more going into the fall. It does feel almost almost like two different battles. Cause even Devin Brown said you're keeping things really vanilla in the spring. You don't have your first team anything from a weapon standpoint because guys are dealing with injuries or guys are just so experienced that they don't need to be doing a lot in the spring. And so now it's all back on the table for you. And if they like spring is more about individual development and then the fall is where you start to put things together and you find where your best players are over these next, this next month, it's like, it's a different competition. It's as much as they want to say, worry about yourself and continue to develop, continue to develop. It does become more of a, want a situ a, a competition type of environment because you're going to be doing scrimmages. You're going to be doing things where decisions are going to be made by this coaching staff. Speaking of summer stuff, Nathan, you asked both of those, these players a pretty simple question. Um, but sometimes when you ask simple questions, you get really good answers. That's what we do here at journalism. Sometimes what did you ask both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord? And what were their answers to those questions? So it's actually one of the things that I wanted to work on for the season. Um, playing in the preseason was to ask more simple questions, not not simple topics necessarily, but ask a asking some more open ended questions. If you listen to these press conferences, I'm as guilty of it as anyone, like vamping along a little bit too long, sort of like I'm doing right now. And it's maybe sometimes easier just be a pop. So I decided to just pop on both these quarterbacks today and just said, "What's the most important thing football thing you accomplished this summer?" Just a one-sentence question. You don't get a lot of those in these press conferences. 
And both of them essentially said the same thing, which was talking about now that CJ Stroud is gone, um, or in the NFL, you know, um, now that he has moved up, it's opened up the opportunity for them to be vocal leaders. Whereas in the past, they were deferring to him. And I, that wasn't, I don't hear that as, um, I'm, you know, they're they're shying away from an opportunity the last year or two in McCord's case. I hear it as there's everyone has their place and you don't need that many voices. You need a defined quarterback voice leading this team. That was C.J. Stroud's job for each of the past two years. So now somebody, though, has to step into that void. And the way uh, Comma Cord answered it, I'm trying to find the answers in here, but basically saying that that was what he felt like the most important thing that he accomplished this fall was getting into the locker room, getting into the, whether it's at weight room, whether it's at conditioning, standing up in front of the team and being vocal and, and setting expectations and having accountability, helping push guys to do things that they maybe hadn't done before. And all of those things are leadership traits that are important as they're happening, but they're critically important, I think, when it's the fourth quarter of a game and you've got to make a drive and everyone's looking at you, who's going to go out and, and finish this job. And so much of the execution of that falls on one guy and the rest of this roster has to be confident in that guy. Ryan Day was talking about that today, that this the whole roster has to buy into who he picks as the starting quarterback. And that's why he's observing intangible things as much as he is charting every play that uh, that happens here in the, the summer, which they're doing too. I think it's, it's a combination of intangible things and analyzing the, the data that they accumulate over the course of, of this year. And, you know, Brown said some other thing, you know, when, when he hurt his finger, he wasn't able to do anything. So then getting back in the locker room and the weight room and vocalizing and getting guys going and pushing guys and showing everyone that you are bought into the sacrifice and the um, expectations that are going to fall on your shoulders as the quarterback, I think is really important. I think that everyone on this team knows everyone has a job, but the quarterback gets scrutinized in a different way. And the quarterback sometimes gets praised in a different way, but also will get criticized in a different way. And I think that you have to show that you have the, the mental capacity and emotional capacity to, to stand up and do that. So that has been uh, in a summer where you don't get to play a lot of real football. And a lot of things are more uh, off the field or it's conditioning or it's weightlifting, those sorts of things. I, that was maybe the thing, the place where they could make the most impact, not just for themselves, but to be that example and, and gain that trust and confidence from the rest of this roster. I don't want to say that matters more than who can move an offense down the field and accurately throw the ball because it's not. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about this game is about who scores more points than the other team. So it's not putting more of an emphasis on it. But it is a we're in a point of this quarterback battle where there's part of it that is I mean, people like to say gut feeling, but it's a lot of things that you don't know until they actually have to do it. And Ryan Day brought up the Clemson games for Justin Fields, the 2018 Maryland game for Dwayne Haskins the Georgia game for C.J. Stroud, these things where those are the performances and partially why they got picked 
to be the starting quarterback here because you had a feeling that they could do that along with the other long list of things that you're looking for in a quarterback. And here we are with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, basically in the same situation. We don't know what they're going to do in those situations. You don't know how they're going to lead in those situations. You don't know whether or not the roster believes in them quite yet because they haven't been put into positions where that's being tested which is what makes the next 30 days interesting because you got to find the best way to simulate that while also being in situations where they can't get hit and it's I don't it's it's con, non-consequential football to an extent in the in a lot of those situ- situations the leadership things are interesting to me is because you're talking about two different personalities we talk about their games a lot and how Devin Brown maybe is a little bit more athletic than Kyle McCord is which Devin Brown even admitted to um, but Kyle McCord's a little bit more professional, a little bit more monotone. He stays even keel a lot of times while with Devin Brown from the first time we talked to him last spring, when he was an early enrollee, it felt like he knew how to take over a room. It, I think that's a, that's probably the right way to, uh, to describe what Devin Brown has been like. And he kind of did it today, even with us asking him, Hey man, it feels like you're behind. How are you going to make up for that? In so many different ways, it, he still found a way to take over the room and, kind of instill confidence that eventually this guy can be your starting quarterback, whether that's this year or next year or somewhere else down the line here. While with McCord, it seems like it has been more of a process to be a little bit more vocal. And he explained a lot of that stuff. And maybe we would have seen it last year had to your point, CJ Stroud not been in the picture and he didn't want to, as he said, step on CJ's toes. And, you know, when it was CJ's team, he allowed it to be CJ's team and now both of those guys in their own style, in their own way, are trying to find a way to fill that void that C.J. Stroud left. While that's almost equally as important in the battle as it is, hey, I can throw a ball 40 yards down the field. I can complete 69 to 70% of my passes. I can take over a weight room. I can take over a locker room the same way. Again, you know, as much as we talk about the advantages that McCord has, you know, when did he commit to Ohio State? Like, he may have committed before I started this job, so that was August, Met, mid-August of 2019. He committed at the end of April or early May 2019. Right. So, I mean, we are in now our fifth year of him imagining the day he's going to be Ohio State's starting quarterback. Yeah. So I, it is true that these guys have different personalities. That, you know, I don't know if it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. There are people who are a little bit more reserved than people who are a little bit more outgoing. I would say that you saw that contrast, frankly, between in the transition from Justin Fields to CJ Stroud, too. Justin Mm -hmm. was always just a more low key, quieter guy, whereas CJ was a little bit more uh, wear it on my sleeve, Mm -hmm. a little bit more direct with things. And I'm sure people who were have been following Ohio State football more closely can take you back through every guy, every quarterback for the past couple decades and, and bounce around to the different personalities. So uh, I can't remember if it was McCord or Brown today who said, it might have been Brown actually, who said that there's there's more than one way to do this. That And it might have been, I think it may have been a question. Of, yeah, it may have been a question yeah. about the the expectations that you have to live up to. And mm-hmm. him saying that, like, you can just look back through the years and, and see the success and see that there have been a lot of different ways to do this. And I think that applies to leadership, too, because, again, uh, you know, 
Justin Fields being, again, another example, and I'm sure he was maybe a little bit more vocal behind the scenes than, than what he was when he came to the, the weekly press conferences and, and post games and things like that, where he was just so much more even keeled. But I think getting back up after getting crunched in half at Clemson, or maybe the better example, the, the whole Michigan thing at the end of his first year as a starter in 2019, like those sorts of things speak volumes, not to get cliche here. Like those things really resonate through the rest of the roster. So again, um, I thought Devin Brown had a good answer to something today, which uh, um, our dear departed Doug Lamerese asked him a question about uh, off-platform stuff, you know, working off of, of, of making plays happen when things break down. And he's like, yeah, I'm good at that. But like, I, I can stand up here and and talk about it all I want. It's the, the film is what's going to matter. Was that Brown or McCord that said that? I think it was Brown. Um, it was Brown. I thought that was a great example. And there's an extent to which the leadership thing, that may be true of too, that both these guys are at some point, whoever gets the job, is going to have their opportunity to have one of those moments where they demonstrate things to the team in game. But as, as we were talking about after today, that Ryan Day is talking about how you have to like, put them in game situations and project things, especially from a football perspective, a passing perspective, a reading perspective, uh, a, a turning a broken play into something perspective, all those things you're trying to make projections to when it's a real game. I don't think you can project leadership quite the same way. I think you need to have some like benchmarks that you're following. And from everything we can tell that both of these guys seem to be doing that, so I don't know if it's going to be a thing where like, well, one guy showed it and one guy didn't. So that's who you have to pick. I think it's more a matter of making sure that there isn't a deficiency there. And no one's talking about it as if there is. Yeah, J- Tristan Jevia, I think said that you're probably going to see that show up the most in the weight room. And he, he used the phrase, you can't really hide in there. It's going to show you exactly yeah. who a person is, which is true for anybody who goes to the gym. You can find out a lot about yourself by picking up a weight you have no business picking up. A couple other things, and then we'll touch on some other stuff Ryan Day talked on, because yes, the day was heavy on quarterbacks, but that's not the only things he talked about. This is the second time we've talked to Ryan Day within a two-week span after getting him in Indianapolis, and he has again thrown out the idea of taking this battle into the season. Well, do we believe him? (laughs) He doesn't throw it out. Someone asks him, like, will That's it true. potentially last into the season? And again, he is doing everything he can to not put a artificial time frame on this, which true. I actually agree with. I, I, I think there's there's no benefit to that. He probably has one in his head. or and, and, and he keeps coming back to that, too. As much as he answers, like, hey, who knows? Like, you just got to – somebody has to separate, and if nobody's separated, we'll see what happens. I'm Mm -hmm. still very skeptical of that. I think that the other things he talks about, which is like, well, you know, usually like a couple practices in. In fact, the thing that I thought he said today that was maybe the most important in terms of the timeline was reminding everyone that like, hey, two weeks in, we have this or whenever it is, we have the second scrimmage. Maybe it's three weeks. Like after that second scrimmage, that's usually where you have a pretty good idea what's going Mm -hmm. on at quarterback. And I would advise people to keep that concept in their mind here that if they don't know coming out of that, which guy they're supposed to pick, I think that's going to be a little weird. 
even if it's at that point you say, listen, it really is just a dead heat, but there's one of these two guys that knows the playbook just a little bit more and is is just faster with it and is just knows the why better than the other guy. It's more, that's the guy we need to pick. Or you say, you know, there it's a dead heat, but this one guy really is just a little bit more athletic and does give us just a, a little bit more something that's going to make defenses, um, give defenses trouble. And maybe there'll be some rough spots, but that's why we've got three games to iron it out before we play Notre Dame. So it's time to pick the other guy. Like I, I would just, I think a decision like that has to get made because I think they want at least, the week of game prep and probably two weeks where they turn it over to somebody and say, get us ready. Let's get everybody ready. Let's get everybody on the same page. There was a lot of discussion today too, about Ryan Day's involvement with the play calling and how he, uh, how, how important it is that the play caller and the quarterback are sort of fused together in mindset. And I think that has to get jumped, jump started a little bit with a couple weeks left in camp so that you can like let that person have more of those number one reps, have more of those direct conversations with that guy where they're not maybe having to split it as much and let them absorb just a little bit more. Let that let some more um, connection build between the quarterback and the, the play caller at that point, because those things are just so important. I mean, he, he did talk today about how in 2021 they went out of their way to, to like work on the very first play that CJ Stroud was going to run because they wanted Mm -hmm. just to start with a very easy, successful play. And I think, again, that tells you how Ryan day looks at building success at that position. I, I, I don't think he wants to get to opening day and have it be like sort of this teetering thing that's still wobbling out there. I think he wants confident first steps all along the way. And maybe you get three, four games in and you have to reevaluate. I mean, there's there's nothing that says you wouldn't maybe have to, but I think as far as like taking those first steps into the season, I think he wants them to be confident and secure and to to uh, be based around one guy. He, he's, he's, he kept saying the word rhythm in terms of you want to get your quarterback into a rhythm out there. And, when, and then eventually your instincts take over once you're in that rhythm. Um, he said that they will continue to split reps with the ones column according to Devin Brown to start off fall camp. So obviously that'll be something we'll be watching and probably counting to see if that's how long that stays true. You touched on the play caller thing that was asked about the idea of, it was almost asked in a way of, you know, do you want to have your play caller have that conversation decided around the same time that your quarterback has decided? And we, we've had this conversation in the past about other positions. Like, do you want to know who your starting center is around the same time you're starting quarterback? And every time we've asked Day about the play calling situation when it comes to Brian Hartline, I don't want to say he's downplayed it, but the 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 answer has evolved in a way that has made me rethink what's actually going to happen this year in terms of is Brian Hartline just going to be handed the playbook and say, oh, go call plays, I'm going to do something else. The answer to that is no. I think pretty emphatically, and it's the way that Ryan Day described how this – could work. None of this is set in stone yet. They're still working all this out. They have a month to do so, but he's not just going to completely take his hand off the wheel. That's not even 
that wasn't even a thought process in his head right now. If anything, it's going to be this gradual thing over time. He says he still wants to be connected to the quarterback, regardless of whether or not he's calling plays or not. He's still going to be in those meetings. He's still going to be active. So it's not so much put a pin in it. It's just the idea of maybe how this was presented or how we were thinking about this back in December when it was first revealed by Kirk Herbstreit that Ryan Day was thinking about giving up play calling and Brian Hartline might be up and up to take on that task. I think my idea of what that looks like has changed and I won't be shocked if it's more similar. He said he and Kevin Wilson, when Ryan day was still the offensive coordinator kind of did it this way, where it was a little bit more collaborative and it wasn't just outright one person. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly that because Brian Hartline doesn't have the experience that Kevin Wilson did, but I do think that it's going to be less Ryan Day is just in the passenger seat while Brian Hartline has the steering wheel while Ryan Day gives him directions. And more that, Ryan Day will still very much have at least bare minimum a hand on the wheel when it comes to play calling. Yeah, I've, as people who listen to the pod know, I've I've been more skeptical all along of this full turnover to Hartline for this season. Uh, Partially because Hartline's just never done this before. And I think there Mm -hmm. is a training period on that. Now, Ryan Day also says... I think correctly that there is a lot of it's always been my philosophy that the great coaching really happens from Monday from like Sunday through Friday and then Saturday Mm -hmm. in in, in any sport. Um, And then Saturday is about executing everything that you did the rest of like the plan that you built, the training you did. Like if you weren't coaching great all week, then you're not going to coach yourself over the hill on Saturday. So I think that is going to apply a lot to this. It already does to how they call plays that it's, it's about knowing and Doug did the great piece last year that gave you an inside look. Everyone can go Google that, that, you know, um, gives everybody an inside look of how they kind of put that together. All the voices are involved in putting that together. And they said today that like, once you get to Saturday, you've got a sheet and every play that's on that sheet, has been stress tested in that room to, to be one that will be successful or they believe will be successful that day. And now it's just a matter of maybe following some basic principles and and finding your own rhythm as a play caller. But there is an art to it, as, as he said. And I would not be shocked if, if, if it's kind of what you're talking about. Like it could be the day still has a hand on the wheel. Do you, in the early games, do you, and they're probably not going to, by the way, be upfront with us about who's calling mm-hmm. what. And it's not something I can put in a open records request for. So we'll see <laughs> like how much, how forthcoming they'll be about it. But like, you know, is, is does day call plays in the first half against Indiana? And then they're up by 35 and then Heartline calls in the second half. Like, do they start easing him in that way? I don't, I don't know. That's, I think that's one of many options. I, I just still am skeptical that it's a full turnover to Heartline from day one because I think that the, the before you can call the plays on Saturday, you probably need to be have that next step of involvement in building the game plan in the first place. So the, and they there's been limited opportunity to do that in the spring and in, in preseason camp. There's going to be a little bit more game planning, but that hasn't been the focus of these two periods. It's, it's still more about developing – your on-field talent. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious. We'll see how forthcoming they are about what's actually going on in the booth, on the field, 
some combination thereof on on that first Saturday. I'm just trying to imagine what that open records request looks like. And then you get something back and it's like, and on second down in the third quarter, Ryan Day called inside zone. And on first down in the second well, quarter, Brian Hartline called it HB toss. <laughs> yeah, unless unless somebody is actually <laughs> taking down a record of who calls the plays yeah. as it's happening, then no record exists. So uh, that'll be an easy one for them. Nobody's recording the coaches uh the, no. the coaches um, headsets you know during the game so uh, unfortunately right. we'll have to either have get some background conversations going or see what they'll see what they'll admit to us in, in the open I really don't think it's if, if Ryan Day comes out and says listen uh, I think Brian Hartline's going to be a great play caller I believe in the process that we have set up to get him there it's it's not there yet but it's coming and for this season I want him to be on my shoulder in a different way than Kevin Wilson even was as I'm making plays, play calls. I I don't know. I think that would be fine. Um, This it's now is there to an extent that Ohio state promoted Brian Hartline to this position to give him more responsibility to help him, you know, believe he's building towards the next stage and, and then that calling plays will be a important part of that eventually. Uh, Yes, that's true. We'd be naive to say that that isn't true. But I don't know that that means that it has to happen immediately in 2023, 100%. Yeah, I don't think they, – they don't have to give him the full pie at once. They're, he's already taken on some of those extra responsibilities. He doesn't just recruit the wide receivers anymore. He helps out with a lot of the other offensive re- recruiting. It, this this is something that seems like it would have been an easier conversation to have a year ago when you've got a second-year starting quarterback who knows what he's doing, a second-year starting center. You're not as trying to – there's a lot of new. And I don't know if you want to throw a new play caller into that as well when you don't necessarily have to, but we'll see. We'll wrap up with this. Ryan Day did get – we don't typically ask Ryan Day defensive questions anymore, right, because Jim Knowles is the head coach of the defense, but he did get asked a couple. Um, he got asked about Mitchell Melton. He got asked about C.J. Hicks, Hicks. He got asked about the, the cornerbacks and the safety situation, and he did mention – he mentioned Jair Brown as a nickel safety, but then he also mentioned them with the cornerbacks, so that kind of keeps up with – actually kind of keeps – it didn't. Yeah, he didn't specifically mention him as a nickel safety. He just said the name Jair when he, was, when he was yeah. rattling off safeties. So we'll find out Thursday if, if that <laughs> was something that means something or if he just misspoke. Yeah, that, that it'll be maybe he just meant Jair Brown from Penn State or something like that. But he also said when asked about the health situation, we are at full strength. Talked about how they have enough depth that they can use multiple fields for different positions. And so that's I, that's it, though. I mean, a lot of this defensive stuff we might have to say for Jim Knowles and whatnot, but it did seem like, at least from a full strength standpoint, there's nobody who was out in the spring that we should be expecting to be off on the sideline or down a few fields over dealing with injuries. Is that correct? Yeah, a couple things that I heard that I thought were worth mentioning, and you know, he was asked about the how competitive the corner, the the secondary was in the spring, and he confirmed mm-hmm. that he thought that that really carried over to the summer, but he mentioned specifically said, you know, I think it's going to be competitive at cornerback, but Denzel Burke has had a great summer. So that was kind of a sentence mm-hmm. onto itself that he was almost trying to emphasize that and then followed up and said, and Jordan Hancock has had a great summer and then mentioned Davison Igbenosan in like a group of guys who are going to make that room really deep. So obviously, as, as we talked about on uh, the Wednesday pod, I was had listed, you know, the the cornerback that top three group as being like 
one of the things I was really curious about. And I think I'm more convinced than ever that um, they think they have at least two real difference makers there. And now it's just a matter of whether Igbenosin is also that. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe I, I should say another way. Maybe I am less convinced than I was yesterday that they think that there are three starters. I don't know. We'll see as, as, as preseason camp goes along. Um, but it was interesting the way that he phrased about those guys. And I don't think he was trying to put down Davis and Igbenosin. This may have just been also um, a way to sort of boost the guys who've been here the longest and, and make sure they were getting their their recognition. And then for the second time in a week, he's talking about uh, tightening up that defensive line rotation and how he thinks that now that all those guys are older, and again, uh, JT Tuamaloao and Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams are all third-year guys now. Ty Hamilton's a fourth-year guy. You've got guys mm-hmm. even older than that kind of banging around on there. Uh, Taiwan Malone is new to this program, but is is a, a veteran guy from the SEC. And it's like, uh, that's still actually a lot of guys that I just named you because you're also throwing in Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. But his point being that I that he and, – and this – how much this came up with Larry Johnson, how much this is him dictating something to Larry Johnson, I don't know. But saying mm-hmm. that there's the veteran guys – there are enough veteran guys here that they should be able to play deep into games, or they should be able to play more snaps than they've played in the past. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. And I think the last interest, well, not interesting. We kind of knew this, but to the point of Lathan Ransom is the starting bandit and the other two safety spots are still, let's see what happens to the rest of it, fall camp here. Yeah. It sure sounded like that. Like he called him the incumbent bandit which yeah. would lead you to believe that that's where he is. And I think we suspected that all along. So, so there, there's that. That's Ryan Day's pre-fall camp update. As you're listening to this, Nathan, myself, and Andrew are out at practice. And so you're probably getting texts from us t- telling you everything that's going on. So sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. All that information goes there first before we pot it, before we put it on the site. We go there first. When we come back, Andrew will join us and he will be indoctrined as we all grab our keys and we spray paint the names of somebody on our buses and we take off for the 2023 Ohio State football season. More on that after this break here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk and it is time to start driving the bus. It's our annual tradition where we basically say who we believe in and almost have ridiculous, unnecessary belief because there's not a lot of reason to have that belief yet, which is why we do it before we have seen a lick of football before fall camp starts because this is completely based off of what you heard in the spring or just vibes. Sometimes it's just vibes. Nathan, you've done this exercise before. Obviously, you you drove the bus from my call last year, and even if you didn't necessarily fully – get to experience the bus because of injuries. I think you, your point was made, which you concur. Yeah, no, I think I successfully drove the bus last year or he successfully uh, made me look smart. Yes. I, 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 same. I mean, I, I said Marvin Harrison was going to break the Ohio state touchdown receivings record, which was, is, is 17. He had 14, which is tied for second most in Ohio state history, but still, I think the point was made. He was a unanimous All-American. He's the best wide receiver in the country, which is the ultimate point I was trying to make, and he did that. Andrew, 
This is your first time driving the bus. You excited? I'm nervous more than I am excited. I, uh, I, I, we're still kind of in that early stages where I'm afraid of saying something where Buckeye fans are going to jump down my throat about. So I'm nervous more than I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I am excited, but I am still nervous. So we're going to hold off, obviously, to the end to reveal who we will be driving the bus for this year. But typically, this is something we get our textures involved with. And I'll tell you guys now, there was a decent runaway with this one. It was actually fun tallying up these votes because literally every other vote was this person. I'll save that to the end, but I will say this. There were 34 different players who did receive at least one vote in this conversation. And then you go up to at least nine people got three, at least 16 got at least two votes. At least nine got three. And then there's three people who got double digit votes, including our winner who went over the 20 mark, which when I reveal my person, I'm going to feel less unique because I thought I would be unique in the picking this person, but it ends up not being the person that ends up being a unique pick because I think everybody has a lot more faith in him than maybe I was expecting people to have for. But without giving away who you ended up driving the bus for, Nathan, I'll start with you. You had criteria last year, and a lot of it was based around this idea that maybe my call was coming, right? And then it started to get validated very quickly when we went in there and somebody, I think it was you who asked about Larry, who asked Larry Johnson about my call being with the threes. And he said, my call ain't no three. I think those were based off of something Kevin Wilson uh, had said. What are, yeah. Kevin Wilson ahead. was the one who said that. Yeah. Kevin Wilson was the one who said that. Yeah. That someone would asked him about that. And he was, he, he, he was the one who made that reference to my call. Like that ain't no three. And he wasn't mm-hmm. really working with the threes that much anyway at that point, which was, which was part of the point. So what, how did you go about approaching it this year? Because last year, second year guy, top 100 recruit. Okay. It kind of makes sense why you at least considered him, even if you didn't end up picking him. How did you go about making your decision this year? And if you could give us a hint, did you stay with defense or maybe did you go offense this time around? I did stay on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. I think there's a lot of good candidates this year, as you uh, with 34 uh, people mentioned off of a roster of 85 scholarship players. That's a pretty significant. So you know, f- 40% um, are people who the fan base feels, or at least our listeners feel, are maybe a little bit undervalued or um, or just being overlooked. And in my case, it's 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 not someone. Uh, I think last year when I picked Mike Hall, Doug was a little bit surprised as the guy who was leading that exercise. And this one, I think, will maybe be a little bit more obvious. But I think it's also has to do with what expectations are you putting on it. Last year with Mike Hall Jr., it was a case of people have sort of forgotten about this guy. And there's all this talk about the edge rushers and and guys like that. But this guy was a top 50 prospect and there's an opportunity on this defensive line so he's at least going to be in the rotation right and uh and then turns out he was you know maybe the best defensive tackle on the team so for this year i'm kind of looking at it a similar way it's a defensive player that i think might challenge to be the best at his position even if he hasn't done a lot yet andrew this is your first time going through this exercise 
give us a hint, offense or defense, and then also what went into your decision to pick this person, even if – don't say his name, though, because we have to yeah. keep people around for an hour and a half, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, so I think the the thing that I value just as – in terms of football, I don't mean Ohio State or I don't – I just mean football in general. I value utility. Um, I like players that can do a lot of different things, whether that's – you know, on offense, you're moving around different formations. You're in the back. If you're, you know, a Debo Samuel, think of that like on offense. Like I value that really highly. On defense, I value players that can play in the box or if you're a defensive lineman, play inside or outside. So um, I really, I, you know, that's something that kind of stuck out to me. That's something that I think is really important. That's something that, um, you know, that I'm kind of a sucker for. I think overly so. I think the same thing with athleticism. Um, I am kind of of the mentality where, hey, look, you're a, you know, you know, you're a receiver and you're six foot six. I'm intrigued. I, I, I figure it. I'll figure it out later. Or you're a receiver and you're a high school kid running a four three eight, you know, electronic forty. Bring it. I don't. I, don't tell me anything else about him. Bring him in. I'll figure it out later. So athleticism mm-hmm. and size, you know, height, weight, speed, guys. Those are the guys that I fall in love with. Um, so I, I think that hopefully that gives a little bit of a hint. I actually haven't looked, I've been away for a few days, so I actually haven't looked at the subtext. So I don't know who these people are saying. So I might be, I might've picked the guy who apparently like half the people already did. You, I mean, eh, by that description, I wouldn't say so. Cause okay. that guy's not, he's not six, six, but also I don't know anybody on the, if you're six six. Well, he's not four, six three, six. Eight. Oh, that's the that's a hint. He's okay. not six six. Yeah, okay. He's big. Say, he's big for his position, but he's not six. I was gonna say if you're six six one and a four three eight, come talk to me because listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go talk to the Cincinnati Bengals yeah. first before yeah. you go talk to Stephen. <laughs> no, 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 talk talk to me first. Talk to me first because you need a manager, and uh, I, I can be that guy for you. So here's a list of people who only got one vote. So they got considered, but they just were a lot of people with it. Tagua Shibola. Julian Fleming, which I'll read this about from the 440 on Julian Fleming, and because it's kind of based off of Doug voting for Court Williams last year. From the 440, as a fellow Court Williams bus driver last year, I gotta say this exercise is tough. But this, in all caps, but this year I'm driving the bus for Julian Fleming. Man, this feels good, in parentheses, for now. We all know the story here. Incredible potential limited by injuries. Fleming's situation has some has some ways overlapped with Cam Babs. I'll bet Julian hasn't battled the amount of injury setbacks that Babs did. But it sure isn't hard dri- driving the bus for a kid like this. Hear me out. What if we're thinking about the wide receiver room all wrong? Two years ago, Olave and Wilson were supposed to be the top two, but J- JSN, Jackson Smith the Jigba, went nuclear. Last season, Jackson Smith the Jigba was projected for another incredible year, but the injury bug propelled Marvin Harrison Jr. into the spotlight. What if Fleming emerges as a player who's going to be the security blanket for Kyle McCord or Devin Brown? It's entirely possible that opposing defenses apply too much tunnel vision to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Apuka. I think there's plenty to go around between the top three targets in Day's pass-first offense. Give me 60-plus receptions, 1,000 yards, and exclamation points in parentheses, and 10 TDs for Mr. Julian Fleming. And Mark Fleming down as the reason we win a major game on the schedule. My prediction, he goes for 150-plus yards and two scores against his hometown team, Penn State. Nathan, we've watched in Julian Fleming kind of over the last four years now go from 
hearing he's really good he just can't get healthy he's really good he can't get healthy too he finally started to flash last year and the texts are using Jackson Smith the Jigba as an example of everybody was so focused on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson that they forgot about Jackson Smith the Jigba is that something that could be on the table for Julian Fleming this year as clearly the third wheel behind Emeka Book and Marvin Harrison Jr. Do I think Julian Fleming could challenge for the single season receiving yardage record in Big Ten history. No, I don't. I don't think that'll happen. I'm taking the under on that. But I I get where this person's coming from, this texter. And thanks to all our texters, by the way. Um, yeah. And especially those who participated in this episode. I, we even talked about this a little bit, I think, last week on a different pod, right, Stephen, about the, the, the potential for Fleming, the statistical potential yeah. for Fleming. And... It's it's I, security blanket is tough because he plays the Z and that's I don't know that that's really I, I think of the security blanket maybe more being Ibuka potentially but I also no. think that there's more potential for him in this offense than there was for say Jameson Williams a first round NFL receiver in 2020 because at this point at this juncture we're still expecting this to be a very heavy three receiver offense they're not going to play a lot of double tight as much as he did in 2020 with Farrell and Ruckert. So he's just going to be out there. And I think there is something to be said for teams have to scheme to take away Ibuka and Harrison more than they have to for Fleming. At least I was, if I was trying to slow Ohio state down. So I think there's going to be opportunity there. And I, I, we should have gone back and looked. I imagine there were a lot of bus drivers for Fleming last year. I I don't remember what the vote count was, but just like, I, I sort of remember there being a good chunk of, of Fleming bus drivers last year. And that made a lot of sense because he was a guy who all the promise was there and the opportunity just hadn't been there. And we thought those things were finally colliding. I'm jamming my fingers together as such as to uh, uh, demonstrate colliding for those of you uh, not watching on, on YouTube or in my basement. And uh that I think is the epitome of driving the bus almost that this guy is a little bit forgotten about, but the talent's always been there. And now there's an opportunity. Whereas maybe he was blocked from that opportunity before, either by circumstance or injury or whatever. And for Fleming, it was both. So he's, he's kind of the epitome of, of for all of everyone who drove the bus for him last year, I think probably felt validated, even though he didn't put up a monster season, but he was a, you know, he played once he got healthy. So it took him a couple games to get healthy. But once he got healthy, you saw him finally do some of the things that everyone had been telling us all along he was doing in practice, just wasn't getting an opportunity to do them in games. 34 catches for 533 yards and six touchdowns. A lot of that came, especially those touchdowns came when he immediately got back. And I think he had a touchdown his first four or five games back, but then obviously trailed off Penn State kind of after that game trailed off a little bit as the season went on as maybe some injuries maybe a, a, the healthiest he's been maybe he can maybe double that I, I wouldn't actually be shocked well, to be honest with, if he doubled that because you're not dealing with a CJ Stroud who's a second year starting quarterback so maybe Kate Stover isn't as involved as he was a year before but I mean that's driving the bus. Like you don't drive the bus by like putting it yeah. in neutral and attaching a sail to the top and hoping yeah. the wind takes it. Like you put the gas to the floor and you say Julian Fleming is going to double last year's fairly productive receiving totals on a team that already has Emeka yeah. Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. That's yeah. how you drive the bus, sir. 
And listen, that's what they did. 60-plus receptions, 1,000 yards, and 10 TDs. So literally yeah. down to the roll, doubling it. Andrew, what do you think of that idea of whether he, – he's not better than Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka. Obviously, those are two of the best – maybe the top two receivers in the country. But the idea of, like we saw with Jackson – those two get so much of the attention that Julian gets to put up numbers that don't necessarily, at least in perception in the regular in the preseason, don't match the way we view him as a player. Well, I think this is just kind of the argument, or the, I guess the debate that we had with with Cade Stover, right? Like this is just kind mm-hmm. of reformed in with Julian Fleming, right? Like this is, hey, there's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. There's going to be Igbuka on the other side. Somebody else is going to have to catch the ball. Like somebody else is going to have to be that that safety valve, that over the middle, underneath dump off option. And there's going to be games where, hey, look, you just kind of look at the stats sheet and go, oh, wow, like this guy actually had a really good game. Whether it feels like it or not, you're going to be like, wow, this guy had nine catches for, you know, 125 yards and, you know, a score. Because you're going to look at it and you're going to say, okay, well, this team was doubling Marv and then the whole game, this guy's open. So I, I think it's a nice idea because. You know, I mean, like I said, we, in the time that I've been doing this podcast, you know, I've heard a lot about Cade Stover and kind of, hey, this is the year that, you know, you feel re- you really feel good about tight end for, for Ohio State. Hey, this is the year that, you know, you really feel good about, you know, kind of them having a reliable option there. I think this is just kind of a reframed argument, right? Like this is, you know, I, to, to bring it back to what I, you know, was just doing a couple of weeks ago with the Bengals, like this is just the Tyler Boyd argument, right? Like, yeah, you have Jamar Chase, you have Tyler, you know, you have T Higgins oh my gosh, like these guys are so great. Well, Tyler Boyd's pretty good too. And Tyler Boyd is just kind of overshadowed a lot because you've got obviously a quarterback in Joe Burrow, but you've got Jamar Chase and T Higgins on the other side. And eventually he's going to be open. And, you know, we saw that a lot, um, you know, in Cincinnati last year where Jamar got doubled and T Higgins a lot of times had the other team's number one corner. That was how teams played the Bengals. And I think that just led Tyler Boyd to be wide open. I mean, there were plays during the year where they had a, you know, you would get a mismatch and there's a linebacker on him and you would just watch Tyler Boyd cook this linebacker. And I think you can kind of see the same thing with Julian Fleming here, because again, you've got really good receivers on the outside. You've got some nice weapons at, uh, you know, in the backfield and at tight end. I just think it's kind of a reframed argument of like, there's going to be a third option. Why not Julian Fleming? So, we're going to do an exercise here for the rest of these guys who only got one vote. We do this when we do the draft. We have people ding in when we think a guy's going to get drafted at a certain spot. Andrew will get to participate that in nine months from now. If any of the guys I named and of people who got one vote were guys you at least considered. you didn't. This isn't your guy, but you considered them when you were putting together a list of who you might think. It, just ding in as I read the rest of these names here. Should Tyler we Williams. Hmm. Let's do a honk. I like okay. the honk. Yeah, let's do the All honk. Right. So, Tyleek Williams, Lorenzo Styles got a vote. The reason he got a vote, though, was from the 614, the Styles bros. Not sure if that counts, but I don't care. My bus is carrying the Buckeye bros to the natty. OSU by 100. Xavier Johnson got a vote. Former walk-on turned scholarship wide receiver slash running back slash all everything. Jaden Ballard got one vote. Luke Montgomery got a vote under the idea that maybe he would be in the two deep or be competing to potentially be on the field by week eight. Josh Fryer got a vote. Cam Martinez. I would, I would honk for Fryer. I thought about Fryer <laughs> because I he took a lot of he took a lot of 
of crap in the spring and mm-hmm. um, partially because we were talking about how the offensive line didn't look that good. And I think, I think it was fair analysis, but I also think, again, as I've said before, just to kind of recap, cause we, we were just talking about this the other day, he would be, he, we thought he was going to start on this offensive line. So, I mean, we, in January, February, before anybody started talking about left tackle, we thought he was a starter on this offensive line. And I think mm-hmm. if he were at any of the other four positions, people right now would be talking about, oh, yeah, Josh Fryer, it's about his time. And I think it was that move to left tackle that gives people the skeeves a little bit. And I think that's partially warranted, but maybe we've gone a little bit too far. And I'm, I'm, he's one of the guys I'm really eager to get eyes on this week at camp and see uh, how different it looks. Because I I think it might be fine. Like I think Josh Fryer could be as good as like second year Thayer Munford. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I thought about him too. I think what's not helping Fryer is he is replacing a five star top one hundred top ten recruit in the country who everybody knew was gonna be an all American first round pick and Paris was all of that. And Josh is part of that the rest of that offensive line class from twenty twenty who was lower rated guys who were more throw ins than they were you're excited about their futures at the time. And I, I think that's not I think if he were replacing Thayer Munford, I think I don't think people would be as I'm not saying you wouldn't be worried, but you wouldn't be as down as maybe you are right now, when maybe you shouldn't be. I think you're right. I think he can be every bit as good as what Thera Munford was in 2019. When Thera Munford wasn't a first-round tackle, he wasn't the best tackle in the country, but he was really good on an offense that could run the ball very well and protected Justin Fields. So I, I agree with you. I thought I thought he'd get more votes in a thing like this, but I, I understand it. When you're replacing a guy like Paris, who was everything people thought he was going to be, that's now your expectation until – something new happens. And so I, I agree. I think they're going to be fine at left tackle, even if it didn't always look pretty during the spring to continue this Cameron Martinez court Williams. I almost said to Doug, is that you? When I saw court Williams, name, <laughs> but I know Doug's number and that wasn't Doug's number. Donovan Jackson, only one vote for him, which I, I, I thought was kind of shocking. I thought this was someone that more people might pick and say, um, kind of along the lines of what you said with Marvin Harrison Jr. last year, that it's not just that Mm -hmm. he'll be good. It's that maybe this is when the lights really go on for him. And you're talking about like an all American level player. Cause he was a guy that we brought up in that all American discussion last week. So I, but I also think that maybe people are more still concerned about the other um, positions on the line more than they're thinking about the potential of how good some of those interior guys could be. It does feel like with interior, you're more paired. Like if it's one good one, it's probably a, it's, you think about 2019. It wasn't just Wyatt Davis. It was the Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis highway. It was the fact that it was in tandem with them. So that might be hurting him as well. A couple more. Syracuse transfer, Jihad Carter, got a vote. Freshman wide receivers, Carnell Tate, got a vote. He did not have the most votes among the freshman wide receivers, though which I thought was interesting in its own right. But Carnell Tate got a vote. Steel Chambers got a vote. Brian Hartline. We never really – we've never distinguished whether you were allowed to say player or coach in this situation. Uh, any year we've done this. So, I mean, kudos to the person who brought it for Brian Hartline. C.J. Hicks. Only one vote for C.J. Hicks. 
which it's tough just because I yeah I'm sure that Styles probably got more votes and and Hicks is just more blocked as as we know the roster yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to Styles later in this conversation. I Kate bet we Stover, will. <laughs> yeah, Kate Stover, one vote. The running back room in general got a vote from the nine one nine. Can I just say the running back room? If and that's a big if. They're healthy, and with all the defensive focus and stopping our passing game, and the O-line likely better at run blocking than pass blocking, which we've talked about in the past. It's typically, especially when you've got a lot of Midwestern guys on your line, they can typically be better at run blocking than pass blocking. I think Trey and Mayan might go crazy, predicting both with over 1,000 yards this year, which there's a vote for the running back room. Uh, Whew. Andrew, Spicy. I'll ask you that. Yeah, yeah so I like looking at that a little different. Andrew, Ohio State's I'm not got two established. Commenting. No, no. Ohio State's got two established running backs mm-hmm. in an offense where, if things are going the right way, they both should be probably averaging six and a half yards per carry, and neither one of them is going to be carrying it twenty-five times a game. They might both get it fifteen times a game. Do you think it's feasible that Ohio State could have two thousand-yard running backs in the same year? Two thousand yard rushers in the same year. Um, that's a good question. Here, so we're gonna do some live podcast math here. So you age Welcome get fifteen. To, hold on. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. That's exactly what we do here. We plan <laughs> everything live on the pod. So fifteen. You know, you get fifteen carries a game. You're gonna play. T- uh, are we counting bowl game or a Big Ten championship game? Are we doing twelve, thirteen, this or is- fourteen games? This is through twelve. It's up to you. Well, it's up to you. Twelve. Yeah, all right. you decide. Well, do, all right. So, yeah. I mean, if you do twelve, <laughs> I mean, fifteen carries a game, thousand yards divided by fifteen, sixty-six point six yards a game. That's a lot for two running backs. Um, I, I'm gonna say no on thousand yards just because. You know, that that includes that you I mean, you're obviously gonna run up the score against, you know, Youngstown State, but like are you gonna get Henderson and Williams fifteen carries against Youngstown State against um, you know, Western Kentucky? Like, are they gonna play four quarters against Rutgers? No. The answer to that is no. What if one of them gets hurt? I think two thousand yard rushers is just so hard to accomplish. Um, you know, unless you're like Navy or something, um, you know, I just, you know, considering the talent that you have at receiver, the wear and tear on the running back position, the kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, I, I guess you could say like the willingness to, to rotate at running back. Like you, you don't want to have just one guy or even sometimes two guys you want to kind of rotate. I think we, uh, Nathan asked me this question like last week or whatever it was, like how many running backs is an ideal kind of platoon situation? I said three. So I think that, um, you know, you want to kind of rotate a little more. So I think a thousand is just a little too rich for my blood. I think that that's, that's pushing it just a little too much. I don't think it's impossible for Ohio State to have 2,000-yard receivers this year. And it's because they came very close to doing it in 2018 when it was a similar style of quarterback who was a throw-first, really almost throw-only type of quarterback, while they also had a two-back system. In 2018, when Dwayne Haskins broke all those passing records, records, J.K. Dobbins had 1,053 yards and 10 touchdowns and 230 carries. Mike Weber had 172 carries for 954 yards and five touchdowns while also missing a game that year. I think because they've gotten away from the JT Barrett-style quarterbacks and 
even Justin Fields a little bit. The, the, if Kyle McCord wins this job, I think it's going to be similar to what C.J. Stroud was in terms of how much they run him, especially in design run situations. And when you're in a situation where Ohio State clearly has two backs that trust to throw out on the field, I think it can play out like 2018 while also having just a better running game than it was in 2018 when J.K. Dobbins admitted it was kind of a failure of a year and Mike Weber was good, but he was never a great running back. I think that's how it works out is where it's two guys carrying the load, which I think we all expect Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams to do this year, while also not having a quarterback who's a consistent run threat. Not saying they'll never run. I think Brian Day has admitted he's a little bit more open to letting them run, especially since he has depth there. But it's still not going to be the primary thing they do. And so I think there are some similarities with this offense and its personnel to what they had in 2018. And so I am not totally against the idea of Ohio State having 2,000-yard receivers. I mean, running backs, excuse me. Nathan? So if you were to ask just a robot this question and have them base it on what's happened at Ohio State the last two years, the first roadblock is, are both these guys going to play 12 games? Are both these guys going to play 10 games? That's a fair thing that a robot would ask based on the two series sets of data you'd put in from the last two years. So I think that's the first thing. If, if both of these guys are healthy and carry a workload, uh, it's possible. I also think, though, as you're predicting all the possible outcomes and like what percentage of chance you want to put on something, like one of the possible outcomes is like Trevion Henderson, a healthy Trevion Henderson separates. And now he's getting like two thirds of the carries. And that makes it harder for that second guy to get up to that, that thousand yard conversation, because this offense, I don't think will do what, because another example would be like 2019 with Dobbins and master Teague, like master Teague had a lot of yards as just like the mop up guy in that situation. But that's not really what it's going to be with that's those yards are going to go to like the third guy on this list. Mm -hmm. Cause we think of Henderson and Williams as being like the one, and one B, one A, one B type thing. Not really a sh- maybe a shared starting thing, but maybe also like a, a clear top two, top tier. So I'm skeptical of that happening. I think though, I don't look at the running back room success being based on a whole number of yards that you get at the end of the year. I think it's keeping these guys healthy and I think it's maximizing each carry. And who cares how many that ends up being? They'll, they'll carry the ball as much as they need to. It's more about getting more out of those carries than they were getting from them last year when they weren't healthy. That's probably a fair point. Master Teague, 789 yards in that 2019 season on 135 carries. But to your point, a lot of that, he was all Big Ten 13 that year simply because he got a lot more than most second number two running backs get because J.K. Dobbins had 2,003 yeah. yards, and so much of that came in the first half of games. And it was just a down year for running backs in the Big Ten. I'm not casting a person on Master Teague, <laughs> a guy who I really enjoyed watching play in some ways, but that's just how that's just true. He, he would not have been third string last year. Sure, thirteen. That is very. That is very true. Uh, we had there was one more person who got a who got one vote in this conversation, and I think it's the only vote that's going to matter at the end of the day, and it was us. We got to drive. Yeah, somebody <laughs> drove the bus for us from the 214, driving the bus for Buckeye Talk. Had a tough offseason with a key player, Jay, choosing to transfer to the state 
Shout out to those guys over there, Austin Ward, Bill Landis, and, and Berm. You guys do an awesome job, too. I think the young blood is ready to step up, which, I mean, any of us could be the young blood because Doug was older than all of us. So uh, I don't know about any of us. We can do young blood, younger blood, and then young guest blood. And uh, the point work. of the matter is, shout out to the 214 for including this. And that that was all the people who got one vote. When we come back, we'll talk about some guys who actually got some real consideration in this driving the bus convo where I'm pretty sure a lot of these guys are going to get named. Andrew, myself, and Nathan all at least considered them in a real way before we made our decisions. And then stay put, stay put. We actually do eventually have to put some keys in the ignition here and take off. More on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Welcome back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan Eric Steven means Andrew Gillis. I don't know why I said my name second when I'm the one hosting this pod, but we're going to stick with that anyway. Oh, I thought you were going to say something snarky. I was I was giving you opportunity to do that thing. No. I think I like those moments where you know something snarky should be said, but nobody yeah. says it and then you just have to like, uh you could see the hamster. You could see the hamster wheels spinning within Nathan's oh, yeah. head. He had like his mouth was like slightly open, like he was ready to go, and he just didn't say anything. He held off. Yeah, that was mostly a, like I don't really want to draw this out another ten minutes with a snarky <laughs> comment that leads to something else. But here we've done it anyway. So I know, fuck I talk. So driving the bus once again, as we are here, th- as we're getting into this now, I'm going to continue to list off names here. But if you hear your guy. Honk, so we can have the conversation about it. So these are all the people who got multiple votes. These are not the double-digit guys quite yet, because I do want to save those guys for a bigger conversation. With nine votes, Kyle McCord. He was the only quarterback to get a vote in this thing. So at least in our Texer community, they have picked a quarterback already and who they think is going to start. What do we think of that? I'm surprised by that. I thought that there would be more factions or at least a faction of like Devin Brown truthers who believe that he ultimately wins out. So I think it's interesting. And I don't know if that's being steered by the way things went in the spring and the way the spring ended, the fact that he got hurt, the fact that McCord seems to have been ahead and people are ready to throw their support by him. So I think I'm surprised by both that it was, that it was nine zero in favor of McCord. I think the public perception for Kyle McCord is starting to match the public perception that CJ Stroud had coming into that 2021 battle where for no reason at all, it was just public perception said CJ Stroud was going to be Ohio state's next starting quarterback. Now they went through a battle he didn't win the job until halfway through spring through, through fall camp. So it's not like he claimed the job in February, but it felt like from the moment he signed his letter of intent, he was next up after Justin Fields. And every moment that followed that felt like it was validation, whether it was him coming in in the Michigan State game when Justin Fields had to leave for a second, whether it was coming in for in the Clemson game when Justin Fields had to leave for a second, the way the spring played out and then going into fall camp not it's not completely apples to apples with Kyle McCord but he was clearly QB2 last season which would put you in line to be next if you're already clearly two and the only one who threw a pass last season of the people who were on this roster it's 
how spring went and how we maybe saw things. And it felt like Kyle McCord had a better command of the offense than Devin Brown did at times. Him being a year older, Devin Brown not playing in the spring game. Kyle McCord's kind of been in our heads. So I understand I understand why he would have more votes than Devin Brown, but I'm, I'm with you in thinking I'm kind of surprised Devin Brown didn't get at least one or two under the the, the premise of Devin Brown's going to come back and win this job, even if there is a little bit of adversity in the way. Andrew, from what you've gotten a chance to get to know about Ohio State over the past week, are you a little shocked that we're in a quarterback battle and when it's time to drive the bus and really you know, put your name on one of these guys, nobody went for Devin Brown and it was all Kyle McCord? No, I mean, because, I mean, like I said, just kind of coming from the outside in, um, it, it kind of felt like Kyle McCord was going to be the guy. Um, you know, I know, you know, all the way back when, like, when Ewers transferred, it was like, oh, well, when, you know, when Stroud leaves, it's Kyle McCord's. Like, it, it just kind of felt like, like this has kind of been building for a few years um, for me. I mean, he's got really big shoes to fill. I considered him, that was the reason I didn't, because, he, so this is a question for you guys then. And when you drive the bus, like when you get behind the wheel and drive the bus for someone, when is this relative to expectations, relative to the past, however you want to take it? Because that was the way that I looked at this, because one of the reasons that I didn't take Kyle McCord was because, one, there's a little bit of uncertainty there that, you know, I'm do I does it sound like he's going to start? Yeah. Does it feel like he's going to start? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't know. So I, I didn't want to, you know, kind of commit to a guy who is going to play. I'll, I'll say this because I'm trying not to tip my pick here. I didn't want to commit to a guy who I didn't know is going to play the most important position on the field, if that makes sense. And considering the quarterbacks that Ohio State has had in the last few years, he's got some really big shoes to fill. So that's why I didn't drive the bus. Like, is that the right way to think about it? The wrong way to think about it? I don't know. I think it's a mixture of all of that, to be honest with okay. you, because if you, let's say in less this past season, you would have driven the bus for C.J. Stroud. You can't drive the bus right. that C.J. Stroud's going to win Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. He, he already did that. So you're just saying yeah. he's going to do what he did the year before that. You probably do need to take it a step further and go, C.J. Stroud's going to win the Heisman Trophy. He's going to break some records. He's right. going to be the number okay. one pick in the draft. Or if it's a guy like with Mike Hall, with Nathan – Mike Hall didn't do anything the year before that. So Nathan had a bigger runway for where he could go. He could say Mike Hall was going to lead this team in sacks. He could just say Mike Hall was going to be a starter. So it's, it is a little bit relative to what they're doing. But also, once you get the relative of who they are in terms of last year, it's right. how far you want to take your bus. I hear you. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. the thing with McCord was, like, you look at the quarter. Like, Justin Fields is thrown for, like, was 41 touchdowns and, like, four interceptions I want to say mm -hmm. like it, it, that's a really high bar to clear so like I didn't feel comfortable with saying like an Ohio State quarterback like if that's the bar for an Ohio State quarterback I don't think Kyle McCord's going to reach that bar like that's what he has to do and, and obviously like expectations are not going to be that for Kyle McCord but those are the expectations of Ohio State quarterbacks like but that's the thing like see exactly like that was the the hesitancy that scared me like think about the quarterbacks they've had well, in the last couple of years Haskins Stroud Fields yeah it's it's not so much but, about making a prediction it's it's a little bit more nebulous than that it's it's more mm -hmm. just like this is the this is I think this guy is legit I think mm -hmm. this guy, and again, it's Steven's not wrong. Like if you, if you're if you're saying, "Well, I'm driving the bus for C.J. Stroud," 
Um, or even last year with his pick for Marvin Harrison Jr. We'd already seen him catch three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just be like, well, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to start. People would have been like, well, yeah, no, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not what it is. Like you get, you're shooting a little higher than that. He's going to say, Oh, I think he's going to be one of the best receivers in the country. So it, not to get too bogged down in our semantics here, but just it, it don't, don't worry about like, you're trying to make a prediction. It's more just about, um, I, I think this guy's time has arrived. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it, it's fair. very much. Yeah. It's almost like, this is how you think this player is going to go. I think he'll go X amount of steps further, regardless of what that further can mean. So that's Kyle. That was a lot for just Kyle McCoy. That was the most non-double-digit vote getters you got. Next up was Kenyatta Jackson with seven. Nathan? That's oh! Guy. That was going to be Doug's okay. guy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Doug had, well, shout Doug out had to said... Yeah. Doug had yeah, said, Doug that, had was, said that he was going to vote for that guy correctly. To, to, uh, to ride the bus for it. And it's a good candidate because it's he's the Mike Hall of this year in some ways like a guy who was a top 50-ish prospect didn't really play as a freshman uh, probably came in had to had to change his body a little bit and and work on some things probably is a little bit uh ticked off about that and wanting to prove some things this year and and the thing about Mike Hall last year too was that wasn't just a dart throw. Like we were hearing, people were telling us, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, this this is a thing that's happening." Like, watch watch when this happens. And I don't hear quite the same thing with Kenyatta Jackson yet, but we're early in camp. I think the thing you hear more is just these guys have to be ready to go. You're hearing, but it's also yeah. in tandem with the other defensive ends, with JT Tuomolowau, with Jack Sawyer, with Caden Curry. It's not with my call. It felt like this outlier thing of like hmm, maybe we should pay attention to that. With Caden, with Kenyatta Jackson, and with Caden Curry, with Jack Sawyer, with JT, it's just combined thing of even Ryan Day said it on Wednesday, and he said it during Big Ten Media Days. There's enough veteran guys there that they should be able to, you know, whether it's a rotation, whether it's cutting down the rotation or not. There's enough there that they should be getting production from the defensive line, and it feels like he's a part of that, even if he did spend the spring flashing. Next up was Tommy Eichenberg with four, which I would assume that next step is he's first team All American, right? I think this is one yeah. where if we if we would have if someone would have picked Tommy Eichenberg a year ago, I think that would have outdone either one of our with Marvin and, and Mike Hall because. Those two things felt like they were coming. It's just how far do we think they're going to go with it? Tommy Eichenberg went from a, we're not even sure if he should be the starting Mike linebacker to now we're coming into a conversation where he might be one of the best linebackers in the country. Yeah. I mean, he, he had lost his job over the course of 2021. So a year ago, I thought there was more cause to, although Knowles had obviously professed his his undying love for him at, at that point by he then, did. and it became clear that he was in in line to to start. Um, but yeah, I, I think Eichenberg is a guy. It's tough to drive a bus for him now, just because I feel like he has arrived. It's it's he's here. He's a thing. He's 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 already a dude. So yeah, if you're if you're picking him, you're you're saying he's going to do some things that might put him on Mount Buckmore. So then you had three guys with three votes, JT Tui Malowau, Emeka Ibuka, where both of those guys is like, can they, I mean, Emeka Ibuka is probably just, he's going to continue to do what he's been doing really. And 
while with JT Tuimaloau, one of our texters from Drew from the four one nine. I'm riding the bus for JT Tuimaloau to break Chase Young's single season sack record. That's a bus right there. Wow! It's like, hey, can the guy who had the Penn State game do that every week, and now he's breaking Chase Young's sixteen and a half sack record that was set in 2019. The bulk of that coming during that seven, that two game stretch against Wisconsin and Penn State when he had seven sacks between those two opponents. Uh, I can tell by Nathan's reaction where he think that's going. Andrew, do you think that's on the table for JT or even being in the realm of that conversation of breaking the record of a player who came in here and turned a season into a Heisman Trophy finalist season? Well, 16 and a half sacks is the record. Uh, so, no, I do not think that's <laughs> on the table. Um, I, I, that's that's a lot of sacks. Um, you know, I, I I would need to see more from JT just to – I mean, Chase Young was – like, there was talk. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of – I think when players go to the NFL, it can get forgotten a little bit sometimes how good they were in college. Like – if and and again, this is kind of the inverse with Joe Burrow, but like there was talk where it was like, look, the Bengals aren't going to be good in 2021. Do you take Chase Young? Do you, do you take the better mm-hmm. play? Like, because there was a lot of people out there that said mm-hmm. Chase Young is the best player in this draft. Yep. Like Chase Young is the best player in college football. But so if you're going to do that, you take him. But it's a quarterback, so you have to take the quarterback. Like Chase Young was a freak. And I, I know his NFL career, he's been injured and there have been some kind of ups and downs, but I, he was amazing in college. And I, I just think it's very easy to, it's very easy to forget that. Um, especially if, like, I know all these people listening are hardcore Ohio state fans. So a lot of them, you know, I mean, they obviously remember, but it's just, I, I just think he was so good in college and 16 and a half is such a big number. Like you need to average a sack again. That's crazy. So no, I don't think that's on the table at all. We talked about this on the sack prediction pod that that's not necessarily JT Tuimaloa's game. Mm-hmm. Sure, to be a big sack. In fact, none of us predicted him to lead this team in sacks. I think we all picked Jack Sawyer, if I remember correctly, or maybe no, we did. Doug picked Kenyatta Jackson, which was going to be the the predecessor oh, to yeah. his driving the bus <laughs> for him. So I guess he sort of already did get to drive the bus for him before he floated off into the ether, uh, whatever he's doing now. So, man, 16 and a half. Do we think, do we think JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer combined to get 16 and a half sacks this year? That would be like the first Ooh, step. That would be the first question. step, like to get two guys to, to get to that level. Because Ohio State hasn't had that since Chase Young. Since Chase Young and, and Jonathan Taylor, or, uh, Jonathan uh, Cooper combined for however many sacks they had that year, which was 16 and a half plus a couple. I think there is a way for JT to make Drew's point without actually getting to the number, which is yes. What I think happened that's with true. me and which was what happened with me and Marvin Harrison Jr. I put it's the, the record was yet yeah, sure, but the point is JT takes a step that clearly makes him one of the best players in the country. And so to not get so fixated and like, listen, man, We've reached the. Maybe if JT had had eight sacks last year, then maybe we're having a different conversation and go, okay, I could see it, right? Five star recruit, top 10 player in the country, next in line for Larry Johnson, and he's just doing what five stars for Larry Johnson do, then maybe we could see it. But 
he had three and a half sacks last year, and two of them came in one game. And so the number might not be as important as does JT have the impact that Chase Young can have? And that's being a game wrecker in a way that messes up offenses, even if he doesn't necessarily have the 16 and a half sack number because Chase Young is Chase Young for a reason. There's a reason it's the record. It's because one person has ever done it. From the 614 on a Mecca Buka, for the third year in a row, apparently, he's they're picking a Mecca Buka. Hmm. What's that mean for someone so established? Will lead OSU in two of the big three receiver stat categories, meaning catches, yards, and TD. So lead in two of those three categories. Will make at least one All-American team, which goes back to our market down Monday about who will get a tree in Buckeye Grove, and will be drafted in the top half of the first round. So that would mean the first 16 picks. I think that's a that's reasonable, I think, for a yeah. guy who plays in the slot in a world where, as we talked about on the Market Down Monday pod, maybe he just steals one from Marvin Harrison Jr. because Marvin's going up against his own reputation. And so Emeka's numbers are just so good that you somebody puts him on. But then also, if those are the top two wide receivers on the board heading into next April, and Marvin is clearly a top five pick, if the second wide receiver comes off within the first 15 picks of the NFL draft, I don't think that's shocking. So I think that's a pretty reasonable way to drive the bus for a guy who so far has lipped up to his five-star ranking. Yeah, I agree that that, that result wouldn't shock me. So there was one more person who got three votes, and he is not like the other two where it's, this dude who has done a little bit or a lot in like his case in his second year and is now trying to take that step towards being a pretty good player to being an elite All-American first-round draft pick type of player. And that was Evan Pryor, who got three votes from our texters. And there is that's a leap of faith because you're saying that Evan Pryor, everything we were hearing and seeing about Evan Pryor coming out of the 2022 spring, maybe it had to wait another year to pay off because of injury, but it pays off this year. Nathan, did you consider Evan Pryor at all when you were thinking about driving the bus in terms of this bus could literally just mean that Evan Pryor has a legitimate impact this year the way he maybe would have had last year? Not really. Um, What complicated all of that was the guy who was next in line uh, followed through like uh, Dallin Hayden mm-hmm. had some really nice performances last year. So it's not like prior jumps right back into line where he left off last year. He's got to fight a little bit to, to be back. If he wants to be the number three back on this team, I think it's a really interesting battle. We'll talk to Tony Alford on Saturday about uh, that and about how Pryor's coming along, but also, kind of how important that third spot could be because it's not just who's eating up those garbage yards late. It's who is next in line when one of these two guys who has had to miss time a decent amount the last couple of years um, might have to miss time again. So now who who becomes the second guy in that tandem if they need it? So I am really intrigued by Pryor. There's obviously a lot of talent there. There's no reason that a torn ACL – a year later would preclude him from having a really productive year. We've obviously seen guys come back. I am still more intrigued by him as what if he is a big part and a new wrinkle in some ways of the 2024 offense, 
a lot of things are going to turn over for 2024. Mm-hmm. Maybe the same quarterback. We don't know. The whole receiver group is probably going to turn over. There's going to be some important turnover in the offensive line. Cade Stover will be gone. Both Henderson and Williams, we think, probably will be gone. So there's going to be some opportunity to create a new identity on offense. And I'm I he is intriguing to me for that. That just means a guy who's going to have to that because of that injury, it's just going to take longer to, to get there. And does he want to, does he, can he stick around long enough to see that come to fruition? Andrew, Evan Pryor, former top 100 recruit, one of two linebackers, two running backs, excuse me, they took in that class alongside Travion Henderson. A lot of hype coming into here that he hasn't been able to necessarily fulfill because of injuries. Any consideration for you for Evan Pryor? Uh, no, I, there were a few, I only considered a handful of guys. Um, he was not one of them. I, you know, I, I I just looked at the running back situation where it is right now with Williams and Henderson and like, am am I really going to drive the bus for a guy who's going to get third team reps? Like you're not going to bank on an injury. Like if you're going to do this, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not going to say, well, I would bet one of these guys is going to, I just, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that. And I was like, how many touches are really going to be available? So yeah, I, I didn't really consider him at all. So a couple more multiple votes who were not amongst the top three, and I am assuming this is where Andrew's driving the bus situation will come into play. With two votes each, Lathan Ransom, Mayan Williams, Denzel Burke, who from the 8-1-3, I think Denzel Burke has a Jeff Okuda-type season. Lockdown coverage, teams don't throw at him. Maybe not as many picks, but I don't care about that. Plus, he's healthy. We've heard a lot of good things about Denzel Burke, really all offseason going back into the spring. Ryan Day singled him out again on Wednesday when we talked to him about how good of a summer he has had so far. Nathan, any consideration there for Denzel Burke as a guy who maybe has a bounce back year? It's a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm, I, it's, it's interesting to try to frame how good he would have to be in order to consider the driving the bus season, because Mm -hmm. I don't know the way that people talk about him is not really reflected in performance to this point. And that's not his fault. He stepped up and was there to answer the call in 2021 when this team had recruited itself into a hole at cornerback and then had injury problems and, what, what are you going to do? And he's out there on opening night, a, a converted receiver out there on opening night as a true freshman. That's a little bit crazy. I think we would have, I mean, we made a obviously a big deal about it, but like if it wasn't CJ Stroud making his debut, uh, then it probably would have been an even bigger deal. We would have been mm-hmm. talking about it to the end of time. And then he plays every game that year. And last year he was hurt. He never really got healthy until very late in the year. And I thought you did start to see the performance tick up when he kind of had his head back on straight because of the injuries. Again, not really a fault of his own. That first year created some expectations that became impossible to live up to when he got hurt. So I think if you're driving the bus for him, then you're probably basically saying that it's just a matter of finally getting to the promise that everything everybody had kind of latched onto him after um, a, a, a solid freshman year that told you that maybe he was ahead of schedule and then their injuries just interrupted that. 
I think it's fair to say Denzel Burke probably saved Ohio State's cornerback room in 21 because they didn't know where to turn. He was the only good thing about that room yeah. that year when Cameron Brown is still trying to come back from an Achilles. Seven Banks is injuries, but also might have been in the doghouse. Those 2020 corners, Legend Cavazos, who's now at North Carolina, and Ryan Watts, now at Texas, didn't necessarily plan out the way maybe people thought they would. He was while Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson didn't show up until the summer. He was the only positive thing to talk about, really, and probably the whole secondary outside of Ronnie Hickman. And then, obviously, as you mentioned, not able to build on it. And now it feels like a guy who was a recruit in the 250s has now top 100 recruit expectations and the way he's viewed in that program. So I, I understand it. I am not shocked that he didn't get a lot of votes, but I am. Also not shocked that he did get some votes. If you feel like there is a level for him to go, especially since you've heard so many good things about him. A couple others. Davison Igmanosin got only two. No, None for Jordan Hancock, though. No votes for Jordan Hancock, which well, honk. doesn't surprise me. Honk, honk. Oh, well then. Jordan Hancock <laughs> did get a vote. <laughs> I'm, I'm flabbergasted that Jordan Hancock got no votes because mm. – I'm driving the bus for him. And I think it's does would it like is it a shocking statement to say Jordan Hancock might be the best cornerback on this roster and we just haven't had a chance to see it yet? No. Is that like a shocking I statement? I think they think that. And I think they've thought that for two years. He just hasn't had a chance to show it. I just also think that it's kind of there's some Julian Fleming going on here in terms of he might be really, really good, but he has not been healthy. So he hasn't yep. had a chance to show it. And if Julian, like you said it before, he is the epitome of the Marshawn Lattimore Award, top 100 recruit who at corner, who hasn't been healthy for two years, maybe it all clicks this year and for some, and he ends up being a first round pick because of it. I mean, honestly, when you were saying that Burke had two votes and Igben Osen had two votes, then I thought that was meant we were going to transition to actually, but it was Jordan Hancock that got all the cornerback votes. And yeah. I, so let's, let's run down the resume real quick, just for, for people who don't remember, but in the 2021 class, this is a top 50 prospect and yeah. out, out of Georgia, out of a, out of a legit football state and going into last season, we were seeing flashes last spring. Like we were, we, we saw it on the field in this 2022 spring game. Like there were things going on, like Jordan Hancock's, uh, he's coming, and like it's mm-hmm. it's gonna. If well, the way we were talking about what cornerback could have been, and what it ended up being for most of last year, it was a very stark contrast. Uh, it was like 180 degrees at times. And OSU coaches talked about him going into last season, like his moment was coming, and talked about him when he wasn't there because of the hamstring injury, as if something was carved out of this defense last year that Mm -hmm. once Burke had his issues and Brown was also still banged up and not effective all the time, then it left, there was this crater. That's where Jordan Hancock was supposed to be to if a healthy Jordan Hancock would have really helped stabilize a lot of that stuff. And it just wasn't there. He, and then even when he came back, you could tell it wasn't, Right, he had a couple games where he played a substantial amount of snaps, but he was basically not there down the stretch. I think he played a few snaps against Maryland, and then was nothing against Michigan. Didn't play against Georgia, so I think a couple things are happening here. Number one, 
if the guy's healthy, I think it. I don't. I, I think the talent has been demonstrated. I think we've seen enough as many flashes from him as we've seen from some of the other young, talented players that people are excited about. And in the same context, in the same context, none of them have done it in games yet, but in that same context. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's happening now is a guy is, number one, his clock is now in his third year. So I think there's some urgency within probably from that. But you're also getting pulled from above by the Denzel Burke expectations, and you're getting pushed from below by Davis and Igmanosin coming in and raising the level of competition in that whole cornerback room. And today, recording this on Wednesday night, when we talked to Ryan Day earlier today, he mentioned Burke up front. Like when he's talking about the cornerbacks, he's like, Denzel Burke had a great summer. And it was it meant something to me that he emphasized that way. And then he said, but Jordan Hancock also had a great summer. And that guy, he got like his own sentence. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking like, is this going to be a three person like we mentioned this on the first segment. Like, is it going to be a three-person rotation there? Is Igmanosin and Hancock both ready to kind of stand in alongside Burke? But if if Hancock ends up being the one who stands out from that group, it, it wouldn't surprise me. So how far is this bus going? It's just he's the best corner by the end of the year? Are you saying he's all Big Ten, all American, first round? Like, how far do you want to take this bus? I guess I'm saying that, uh, yeah, I think that I think Jordan Hancock could be the best cornerback on this team this year. Okay, and I think it's been a while since like that that um, Lattimore Hooker watch list has really someone has really like stuck the landing. Like we've had some predictions yeah. there of guys who like that ended up being pretty good, but we haven't had them do the Lattimore Hooker thing. And he's mm-hmm. one of the better candidates in a while to really actually do that because of where he came from as a recruit and the esteem that people already have for him and the fact that it's just a a position of such impact that if you show up and and really do it then nfl teams are like desperate for help at corner so he finished second for me he was the other guy i really really considered for a lot i'm just i was just as shocked as you that he didn't get any votes, but I do think some of that is out of sight, out of mind. Denzel Burke's been yep. Denzel Burke for a while, and we've been hearing about him. Davis and Igmanosin's the new shiny thing that I mean, we walked in the practice like, whoa, that's a big corner who doesn't look like everybody else in this room. And so everybody's excited about him. So out of sight, out of mind that I think people have forgotten about him. And I am very intrigued if by the end of this year, Tim Walton's going, told you. I told you he was good. I won't be shocked by that. I, I Had I driven it for him, I probably would have said all Big Ten. But to your point, that's still best corner in the room. I think that's very much possible for him. couple other two people, Brandon Innes, actually got the most votes of any true freshman. He got two, which five-star wide receiver who, I mean, might be the next Jackson Smith, the G, but KJ Hill in that realm of a guy where I think a year from now, Brandon Innes is going to get a lot of votes. And something like this when we're having this conversation. And then after last year being amongst the leaders and living up to it, only two votes this year, Marvin Harrison Jr. He got two, which, and no <laughs> honks. No honks for him. So no no Buckeye talk votes for Marvin Harrison Jr. And I get it. I'm not, he's the best receiver in college football. 
You know, I don't. I think the bus has been driven. Unless unless you're saying he's going to break some type of records, I don't know where else he can really go at this point, other than on a bag of chips, which he is on now. He's got his own grippos. So so when we come back, Andrew and I will reveal who we are driving the bus for. Nathan obviously doing it for Jordan Hancock, third year cornerback, former top fifty recruit in the twenty twenty one class. When we come back, we will find out who Andrew and I voted for, and also who the Texans voted first. Three guys with double digit votes. We'll find out who those guys are when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk. So three people got double-digit votes. And unless Andrews is completely out of the blue, I would assume that amongst these three people is where his vote is. Coming in third, only 10 votes. I was kind of shocked. I thought people would go all out here. But I think that how the last six months have played out and have maybe tampered some expectations until they know if he's a starter or not. And that's Sonny Styles. Only three votes. But- Gonna honk a honk on uh, Sonny Styles. Uh, Shocker. Yeah. Go ahead. I, tell us why. Yeah. So look, I, I mean, obviously I, um, you know, I, 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 you know, haven't been to practices like you guys have and everything like that, but uh, because of that, I wanted to do a lot of, uh, a lot of research. So I looked up, you know, high school stuff. Uh, the first thing I looked up of his when looking for this, actually, by the way, second on my list was Noah Rogers. Um, I, I, I have a hunch about him. I like, I, look, height, weight, speed guy. I told you height, weight, speed guy. I think if you're going to put a guy on the field immediately as a deep threat, he's your guy. And I think you can get some immediate playing time. Not going to say long-term. This is a 2023 answer. I, I think you should put a pin in the Noah Rogers conversation for a year. Because he's another intriguing yes. wide receiver. I think I think people have forgotten Noah Rogers, right? Because yeah. of the Ennis and Tate thing, and yep. Uh, yep. I think people are going to remember him by next year. Yes, yeah. He, so, there, so there's so some he was ele- second on my list. Yeah, one Go more ahead. thing. There are some elements to Noah Rogers that are very how Jaden Ballard was yep. viewed when he was coming in with Marvin and Emeka, except. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit further along in his development than Jaden Ballard was. He's a lot closer to who number two is between Brandon and, and Carnell than Jaden Ballard was closer to who number two was with Marvin Harrison and the Mecca But continue sure. on with the yeah. Alex Sunny Styles conversation. Yeah. So I, the first thing I looked up of his, um, you know, I, I wanted to just see what kind of an athlete he was. And uh, I actually looked up some of his high school basketball stuff. Uh, that yeah. kid can leap out of the gym. Um, so, you know, I, I watched obviously some of the spring game stuff. Uh, he had a really big hit against Toledo that I saw, um, made sure to watch that. I just, I mentioned at the top, I love height, weight, speed guys. And re- when you talk about Sonny Styles, you're talking about a dude who is six foot four, almost two thirty, and can move a little bit. That's really big for me. Every quote you read from Jim Knowles and from all these guys that talk about Ohio, we got to find a way to get him on the field. We've got to find a way to use him. We've got to find a way to do that. That to me, he just kind of strikes me as a player who in the, in, in the landscape of college football where everything is so fast and everything is so, you know, uh, why, you know, everything is so spread out, spread out. Offenses are throwing the ball all over the yard. He just, to me, feels like a player who will find himself on the field 
because of his athleticism and because of his size, because you can use him all over the field. Uh, you know, Cade Stover mentioned him uh, specifically at Big Ten Media Day. That was something that kind of stuck out to me. Um, you know, anytime you have, um, you know, players kind of speaking up like, no, this dude's legit. I, uh, I take note of that. Um, I, I just think that he's a player where, again, like I said at the beginning, he's an athletic freak. He's got all the tools. Let let me work with him and let me find out what I have to do later to work with him. He's a guy I, would, I want to put on the field, and I think he's a guy Ohio State's going to want to put on the field a lot. So I want Sonny Styles. I'm glad it's a little bit I'm, – I'm, I'm not upset that it's a basic pick. Like I'm not upset that I didn't you know, pick a guy that – one person had answered or something like that. So I do feel a little better. It's the third most basic pick, but it's okay. That's fine. From the 614, Sonny Styles, first team all Big Ten, second team all American. Dude is gonna dominate. Go ahead and give him six picks for the year two, because why not? So Andrew, I asked Nathan how far he was gonna take his bus. How far are you taking your Sonny Styles bus? Is he the ball Big Ten? Is he all American? Is he freak of nature who's going to be a top 10 pick a year and a half from now? Like how far are you taking this bus? I, I like that answer better. The freak of nature that's going to be may, maybe not a year from now, but I, li- I like the pick of, you know, I mean, I think the athletic does the the freaks list on, on college football where mm-hmm. they, you know, they, I think he's kind of one of those guys who you look at and going into 2024, I, I'm not going to – I don't want to put – stat. I think six picks is pretty crazy to put it uh, as, as a number. Uh, that's a lot. Um, you know, I mean, I, uh, what was the leading uh, leading interceptor last year? Tanner McAllister had three last year. Yeah, six is a lot to double that. So, yeah, I, I don't want to put a number on it. I think he's going to get a significant amount of tackles. I mean, I would feel – I don't know if this is necessarily driving the bus material, but – feel good 60 tackles. I feel good kind of in that ballpark. Um, and, but I think you, at this time next year, we are talking about a player who, okay, this is all American level player. Okay. This is a, this is a guy NFL scouts are going to be salivating over because of the reasons that I just mentioned, you know, the, the athleticism and things like that. So I think that this is a guy who, this is almost like a setup year to what is going to be an eventual all Big Ten, All-American career. So, Nathan, I like this pick, one, because of the way he, he premised this. Like, this is not the best version, but it's, like, on the road to what the best of Sonny Styles is. But also, it's a good guy to drive the bus for because we're going to find out very quickly how much of this is possible this year because we're not even sure if he's a starter yet. Yeah, I mean, it's just what do we learn in camp, especially early on in camp, that tells us that Ohio State – has a plan for him this season. And I think it's – when you look at guys that people have driven the bus for, um, you know, last year, someone like a Court Williams. But Styles is just built different than that. Like he was a higher echelon of prospect than that, and we've already seen some little glimpses of it. And – the way that they're talking about him as a football player is different. So I, I, we know it's coming. We know it's coming. We, I think there's a reasonable certainty that this guy makes all Big Ten or above impact by the time he's done at Ohio State. I think the only question is, is there a plan for 2023 that 
makes that happen this year? And or, or and and also, is he ready for it? He is still young. He is still young for his, you know, um, uh, he's a year ahead by by enrolling that year early. So, but it's just man, <laughs> like I, I'm surprised he was only third on this list. Um, though by doing like process of elimination, knowing who that leaves as a top two, then it makes <laughs> some sense. I'm not shocked that he's not first. I am shocked that he's third as well. Uh, coming in at second, which I thought he would be first. I didn't vote for him, but I did consider him was Jack Sawyer. And so much of that is obviously he's back doing the thing that they recruited him to do. And that's get off to the passer. He got 16 votes. And if Jack Sawyer is the pass rusher, we thought he was coming into college and Last year was just this blip year because they used him in a position he probably was never a good fit at. And so he was trying to learn two things at once. And yet, besides all, despite all that, he still led this team in sacks with four and a half. So what happens if he's allowed to just focus on that? We all picked him during the market down Monday. No, two of us picked him to lead this team in sacks. Can Ohio State get back to having a guy who's flirting with double-digit sacks simply because Jack Sawyer is doing what he came here to do in the first place? Nathan, are you shocked at all that he's this high on this list? No, because this is, again, the epitome of a guy who, even though he's played a lot, I think people feel like he's uh, sort of been running with restrictor plates a little bit or something. Mm-hmm. Like He's been held back by uh, maybe misusage, maybe... Uh, also, like just not being one of the primary guys in that rotation, and now it's a it's a combination of you know the third year of development and being rising to a point where like they're just going to let him do, and they seem committed to letting him do what he's best designed and built and and developed to do. And I was I thought maybe he would end up even being number one on this list mm-hmm. because it's someone who came in with such high expectations and it's not that he it's not like he hasn't been able to get on the field and it's not like he's played poorly I think again people uh, are ready for the they see where where the next step is and what that means because look back to last year and how many times he was just like a shoelace away a whisper Mm -hmm. away from having another sack another two sacks another four sacks like it's it's all right there for him, and if he closes the gap, it's not just that he would be good; it's that it could be really special. This, I, he was always able to get sacks when put in the right positions to do so. It was the other parts of being a defensive end, stopping the run, getting stronger, that were always going to be things he needed to develop. But the pass rushing was the thing that made him a five star because it came in easy from the four eight zero. With double Jack Sawyer with double digit sacks in first team All Big Ten honors, if he's double digit sacks, I don't. He might flirt with some at least some All American list. Maybe not first team, but maybe second team, depending on what the rest of the country is doing. But part of the reasoning was JT and Mike Hall should get the double teams, freeing Sawyer up, and in blowout games, I think Sawyer stays in for reps. Which I'll read the rest of this verse. He's finally at the right position with star power around him. This has all the makings of a breakout year for the young star. I, the staying in part wouldn't shock me with how Jim knows rotate sometimes, but also he just needs reps 
that defensive line. So if you're marking that into it, if there's games out there where most of the time someone in Jack Sawyer's position would play 35 snaps, maybe he plays 50. And like the West, in these earlier games, this Western Kentucky game, the the Youngstown State game, maybe he gets a little bit more. So there's more opportunities for him. But I'm I'm with you guys. I am I considered him. He was one of the three guys I considered along with Jordan Hancock to get this award for me. Andrew, what about you? Another Pickerington prospect, five star recruit, was actually I don't know if you noticed or not. He is the first recruit to commit to Ryan Day as the head coach of Ohio State. He was the first guy he landed. Any consideration for Jack Sawyer to be a big time guy for this award like this? He was up there for me too. You know that was why I asked earlier in the pod. You know how, how do you how do you rank this? Like how do you how do you drive the bus for somebody? Because I think relative to expectations, I think is is the big key here. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about JT to Maloa. I mean, naturally, like if you have one guy on on one side of your defense gathering that much attention, especially with Mike Hall in the middle, you're gonna have some one on one matchups that you're gonna be able to win. So he he was considered for me for that just because I think that he has the potential to be in some really advantageous positions this year. Just when you look at who's who's on their defensive line, frankly, like who who else is on their defensive line. Who else can play? You mentioned the high recruiting pedigree. He's obviously a talented kid. And I, I just looked at him as like a player who he he might not be the flashiest in terms of kind of what you look at at the end of the season. But I think you might – I'm trying to think of what it is. Like you might look at the end of the season and say like, okay, JT's better. Like I think JT's more talented. I think JT had a better season. But maybe Jack had just as many sacks as him. Like I think that there's kind of a world in which that can exist, just because of the situation where um, where they're both going to be in. So he he was under consideration for me, um, just like I said, relative to expectations. Because I think when it comes down to it, he's going to have some really really nice opportunity in terms of uh, just the position that he's going to be in. So I voted for Trevion Henderson, and I did not think there would be that much love. For Travion Henderson, I thought that people would not necessarily be down on him, but just view how the running back was going to room was going to be handled a little bit differently. So maybe 21 votes in this exercise. And a lot of them were in the same vein of why I'm voting for Travion Henderson. I'm taking my bus to he is the Big Ten running back of the year. And. Why that's crazy enough is Penn State's got Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. Wisconsin's got Braylon Allen. Michigan's got Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. This is actually a very – you talked about earlier how 2019 wasn't the best year, Nathan, for the Big Ten in running back situations outside of Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. Well, this is the opposite of that. This yeah, is loaded. There's some, yeah. there's some legitimate NFL running backs in the Big Ten where we're not even sure who the best running back duo is right now. It could be Michigan. It could be Penn State. It could be Ohio State. It could be Wisconsin if someone emerges alongside Braylon Allen. Travion Henderson broke Maurice Claret's record for most touchdowns by a true freshman in 2021. He had 19 that year. And then whether it was stagnated development, mindset, health, or all of that together – he had the J.K. Dobbins story right now where he's awesome as a freshman and as a sophomore year, he takes a step back. And then we saw J.K. lock relock back in to the idea that he was just going to get the ball and he was going to be a workhorse for them. And he called it a failure. I think that was one of your first initial 
in, interactions with J.K. Dobbins is him calling his sophomore year where he had a thousand yards of failure. And then he showed us why with 2,000 yards and a year where it was him and J- Jonathan Taylor for the Doak Walker Award, basically. And Jonathan Taylor won it. I don't think that Travion's going to have 2,000 yards because he's not going to get the ball 300 times. They don't need him to carry it 300 times because he's got Mayan Williams. But I do think he can have the impact of a guy who has 2,000 yards. And you can feel it when he runs. And he runs in a way that makes you remember, oh, yeah, this guy was the best running back in his class. And it was a big deal when they got him. And we see the full effect of him. And I don't think he's a first-round pick because the medicals will probably come back. But I do think he has a real opportunity to be the first running back taken off the board next spring if he has the type of year I think he can have. And so the voters voted him first with 21 votes. That's five more than anybody else. I'm saying the reason why is I think he can be the Big Ten running back of the year. Nathan, we're talking about a year where it's a first-year starting quarterback, an offensive line that might be – We'll see. It might be better at run blocking, even if the pass blocking isn't as great as you would hope it to be the first couple of weeks. Do you think that is too far of a journey for Travion Henderson to be in that conversation? You know, I think if there were a preseason vote for that, right now he would come in fourth, probably. He'd probably definitely come in behind Corum. Um, Edwards and, and Singleton and Allen and no, I would say Allen and then okay. Singleton probably okay. just because Edwards is, is clearly the number two to corn yeah. and will be presumably, although his, his role could grow after what he showed late last year. But my point being that I, that almost is what will ultimately work against him. Like he has to be even better to overcome the right. regard that people have for these other guys. So as far as that specific award, uh, but I also think, again, he doesn't have to get that award to prove your point. And for Henderson, the opportunity is unquestioned. Like if, the, the, the door is open for him to be this team's clear number one back. And and for Mike Williams to still be involved, but in the as a clear secondary thing. Like Because I still think that Henderson is the more special of the two at the end of the day, has the higher ceiling of the two. But I'm also a little surprised that he won this vote because I feel like people were suspect of whether that were true, that whether he really is, um, that that maybe that that maybe he just wasn't ever going to get to that ceiling either because of the injuries or because he won't ever be a 300 carry back. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised he won that, and it's it's interesting, and I, I wonder if the way that you know we reported other people reported how that unfolded late last season brought some clarity to people about um why that season went the way it did and maybe why both he and Ohio State and the staff however you want to say it had to kind of come back together to make another run at this from the 513 Travion Henderson Caps his season by putting the Buckeyes on his back and beating Harbaugh's greatest team in Ann Arbor, which this is a pretty talented team for, for Jim Harbaugh. From the 614, driving the bus for Travion Henderson, being Ohio State's Heisman candidate. McCord will have his growing pains, which will limit Marvin Harrison Jr.'s counting stats. Andrew, any consideration for Travion Henderson? No, um, uh, uh, no is too strong of an of a word. Um, I think a brief, brief, 
brief consideration. I just I looked at the receivers on this team. Like if, if I was going to take anyone on this offense, like I think you kind of said, like unless you think Marv is going to go, you know, just absolutely crazy and do some kind of record breaking whatever, then you're not going to pick him. Um, you know, you, you can consider some receivers. I think uh, you can consider McCord a little bit. I just think that it's it's kind of too far gone to mention you know him or any of the running backs just because it, it, I I just don't know what kind of role that 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 they're going to have in this offense like I mean if you're I mean what if they end up being you know what if Henderson ends up being the third fourth option on this offense like what if what if that's the the mo that this season takes like I just wouldn't have felt comfortable kind of taking that so you, you got to run the ball I just with this you know with the potential like you know, split backfield type situation coming into the year. I, I just, I wasn't, uh, wasn't super comfortable with it. So that is our winner. Travion Henderson, 21 votes. Jack Sir 16 votes. Sonny Styles, 10 votes. Ten, well, Sonny Styles, 10 votes, plus Andrew Gillis's vote. So that's 11. Travion Henderson, 21 votes, plus my vote. That's 22. And then Jordan Hancock, Nathan Baird, once again, in the minority voting for somebody with the only vote for Jordan Hancock, which I, I agree is a little surprising, but that's who we're driving the bus here this, this year for. Two third-year guys who are trying to show that they were what they, we thought they were as recruits coming off their own injury battles. And then a second-year guy who's technically supposed to be a true freshman who might be a freaking agent. Sounds like a pretty solid list. We'll we'll see. It's not a bad halfway start. through. Yeah, we're st- it's not bad. We'll see halfway through the season how many of us are wrong or right. We might find out some of them, like Sonny Styles, within the next month or so whether even he's even a starter. While the other two, at least we can we can probably be comfortable saying Travion Henderson will be at worst in the rotation at running backs, and the same thing with Jordan Hancock. With the way that Ryan Day and the rest of these assistant coaches have talked about them over the last couple of months here, so that'll do it. That'll be driving the bus. As you're listening to this, we are probably wrapping up practice because we went two hours on this pod, which is really funny. We saw Doug today, for those who care, and we were talking about how much shorter the pods are since he's left just for the very next pod we do to go over two hours because a lot happened. We learned some things about quarterbacks, but also we wanted to drive the bus. So like I said, as you're wrapping this up, we're finishing up. The first day of practice, get the text 614-350-3315. All that information is going to be going to your phones first before it goes on a pod or before it goes on any website. So sign up for the text. And that'll do it for another episode of Buckeye Talk. I'm Steven. That's Nathan. And that's Andrew. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.